Why would I? Why would I want to? Why would I want to listen to people talking to me on Discord? I don't know. Maze, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me now? I can't hear me now. Oh. Oh my goodness oh. gracious. All right. What a day, what a day. What a day, what a week. Yeah. We're, 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 we're getting us a nice little new reality. Oh, Anisha's no. Anisha's now living in the biggest city of America. Oh, God. Taking, and taking advantage of all the perks of it so far, such as coming home and putting a new house together. <laughs> Oh, boy. It's been fun. It's been a week. Oh, it has been. It has been a week. And we're going to talk about that week here on episode 417 of the Foreign Affair Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. I am Edward Green, joined as always by my colleague in crime, Wes Bradshaw. And uh, boom, boom. we have a uh, boom, boom, Bill. Uh, we have a lot to discuss today, uh, but we will keep it toit, toit like a tiger. Um, we still obviously have the Champions League final from not so happy paris uh that will uh we'll be uh we'll be discussing that um not so, not have... so gay Perry. no very not happy um then we'll also uh there was another match that got played today actually we'll we'll, we'll discuss that just in the briefest of terms uh but there there was at least a little bit of joy maybe there for some people uh then of course we'll do the news and notes we'll pimp the athletic hit the watch for and call it a pod all right, so with that, we must start off at the Stade de France in Saint Denis, over, over, over in Paris, and and much like it was about five years ago, uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid met up again, and unfortunately, again this time, Liverpool ended up on the losing end. 1-0 was the scoreline. Thibaut Courtois, a, a well-deserved, if not mildly infuriating in post-game, uh, Man of the Match award winner. Um, unlike a, a few years ago, no on-the-pitch um, consternation and controversy, but oh boy, was there plenty off the pitch. Um, most of it in the lead-up to the game, in fact. Um, so... On the pitch, though, uh, it was a, a very tightly contested affair. Uh, Liverpool had multiple chances in the first half to, to convert on goal, but Thibaut Courtois was simply having none of it, making save after save. And as Wes Bradshaw noted on Twitter, uh, in true NHL playoff action fashion, was simply standing on his head. Um, and then as it got to the second half, Real Madrid needed just the one lapse in concentration from the high line that Liverpool likes to play. And Vinicius was able to slot in and beat Allison. No chance for the keeper there. Scoring the only goal of the match and sending Real Madrid to their still record 17th title in the Champions League. Um, so that was the on-the-pitch match, Duff, Wes. We can talk about that first, and then we can, we can talk about the, uh, 
the extracurriculars that happened before the match later. Um, but as for the match itself, I did think it was it was quite a good match, quite a nervy match. Um, and it, it is unfortunate that right here at the end, Liverpool uh, got got the best Thibaut Courtois anyone has ever seen. One of them nights. One of them nights. Yeah. Liverpool and XG of like nearly two and a half. Mm-hmm. Ray Owls was under one. And then <laughs> you see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, really, really, really disappointing um, outcome at the end of it. Liverpool had chances, like nine shots on goal compared mm-hmm. to Real's two. Um, yeah, I mean, that that explains the whole match. Real were able to get one to go in off of a Valverde. Uh, I think everybody agrees that was a chass. Yeah, it's very chassis. I think everyone's agreeing that was a chass. And uh, Vinicius Jr. coming on the back side, Johnny on the spot, he was there. Um, people people throwing a lot of shit Trent's way. I think there's some to throw. I don't think it's quite as egregious as it's being made out to be by some people who just don't like Trent Arnold. Um, but at the end of the day, when you got him, beat Allison. And yeah, even at that point, yeah, I was I having some deflation going. But I, I mean, it was like, dude, it's fine. I mean, we'll score. We just had to keep them off. But we'll score because we always score. And then we didn't score. Because no matter what the hell we did, T-Bucket, I kept throwing a gigantic frame of his around and getting fingertips to balls and pushing things just wide and basically doing all the horrible, horrible, horrible things that a goalkeeper can do to just break your spirit. Um, one of those days, end of the day, uh, Liverpool unable to get anything in. And as some intrepid American reporter asked Jurgen Klopp, what was the difference between winning and losing? Jurgen Klopp said, well, they scored and we didn't. I don't know what else you want me to say. Yes. <laughs> Just absolutely sheer brilliance from that. Does it doesn't um, take a whole lot of breakdown yeah. there. And she's like literally, uh, of course, I couldn't see Klopp as I listened to the press conference. But you, it's like you knew he was looking at him like, are you serious? What's the difference? Of, what's the difference of winning and losing? You can really hear his voice. He was perturbing that question. So, what, what, do you, what do you think, dude? They scored. We didn't. There you go. There's the difference. Um, kind of a hard luck one. I, I won't go so far as to say Liverpool deserved to win because I feel deserved to do something you didn't. Yeah. Liverpool didn't do it. So at the end of the day, Real deserved to win. But I think Liverpool were the uh, better team on the day. But hey, we've said this a lot. Better team doesn't always win. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. That's, that's pretty much my analysis of it. Um, yeah, I, I think to, to go back to Trent, I, I do think this was 
I, I think one of his less egregious errors. Uh, I think I, I don't. I think a lot of people accused him of ball watching and and just losing his man. And I don't think that was actually the case. I think he just kind of fucked up the line. Like if he's if he if he's in line, like if he, they'd get the trap off, but he just he just kind of fucked it up. Like. Yeah, and, and that's what you know. That's what more the analytical folks are saying is that he knew Venetius was bad there, but he was he was trying to hold the offside line, and basically they just they just beat the offside drag. Yeah, you know, if Venetius takes another half a step, then who cares if he scores the goal because he's offside? But. Got timed right on the chest. Valverde doing a great job of missing. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was I mean, that was basically Real's great moment of the match. There was the disallowed goal earlier, which had some yep. controversy. But honestly, just I, I've heard enough people, other than just Liverpool analysts saying that no technically that is the right call um it's one that is is kind of hard to explain sometimes but apparently that was the right call i'm not going to claim mm-hmm. to know enough to be able to break down the rules of the match or uh, mm-hmm. the game to tell you i mean i was head and hands at that moment but personally i thought benzema was offside already I thought it was offside before the shot, and the flag never went up. So to me, I felt a little vindication on it. But apparently, that was a good call, and it has a you know Ray Albert make a big deal out of it later. Of course, they won, so why would you? Even... But um, yeah, you know, I, I thought the match was overall. I thought it was pretty well officiated. Of course, there's people out there screaming bloody murder about it. But... That's just because some people just want to complain about officiating. But <laughs> I thought officiating was fine. Um, yeah, and once again, once again, it wasn't it wasn't any funny business. It wasn't, you know, thank God for VAR. It wasn't like the the hundreds of a millimeter line being drawn somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they got one. Courtois kept us out. <laughs> And there you go. There's your story. Courtois, man of the match. The clock came in for some shit from journalists, you know, different journalists for his post-game comments. Where he, you know, I thought he thought he was praising Thibaut Courtois myself. Um, he made a comment that said, you know, it's a real problem when the goalkeeper is the man of the match. And then he goes on literally his next thing to say, you know, you know, then it's a real problem for a team that you're playing against, which to me, he was saying, yeah, you know, it's a problem for us when Thibaut Courtois is the man of the match, because that means that he's kicking our ass basically. But there's been media members who wanted to jump on that and say about Madrid and the way they played the match, I didn't take it that way at all. Um, you know, Madrid knew they couldn't, they knew they couldn't play at the pace that Liverpool probably wanted to play. Uh, they didn't park the bus. No. 
they had it running out subtle. No, I think they they pretty much did essentially what Tottenham did about three or four weeks ago. They they didn't park the bus, but they they sat back and looked right. to counter, which is. Uh, I, I think this is the hundredth time we've said this, people. Unless you're Manchester City, this is what you should do against Liverpool. You're not going to play with them. You're not. <laughs> so stop. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's pretty much just come down to that. And, you know, Uncle Carlin is one of the great managers of this era. I think people yeah, overlook a... him sometimes. Um <sighs> You know, but but I mean, you, you think about this, and I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give him more credit here. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti has beaten Liverpool now twice in the last fourteen, fifteen months. By God, he did it once with Everton. Yeah. <laughs> no, granted, that, that Liverpool team wasn't exactly featuring uh, yeah. <laughs> We know about that, but I mean, obviously, Carlo Ancelotti knows how to get a team out of the team. Mm. And he basically said, uh, we, we knew exactly how Liverpool were going to play because Liverpool played. And we were ready for it. And they were. And they got the job done. And uh, he had the man on the night who was the best goalkeeper in the world. Mm. Um, yeah. I think. We we can we can get into this maybe more because I know we're trying trying to keep this podcast tight. Um, we can get into this topic more. I I think a little bit when we do our our season and reviews for Liverpool because God knows we have nothing else to talk about this summer. Um, but but I I started seeing this and it didn't it didn't hit me until I think the first time I saw it a couple hours after the match. But it was really a, a really striking stat. I mean, Liverpool played about 330 minutes of cup final football this season and scored zero goals. Now, yeah. again, that's not, not the biggest sample size in the world in three matches, and those were spread out over like five, six months. So it's not like they were all in a row or something. So it's, it's more random and just weird. But it is, it's really weird that for a team as prolific at scoring as Liverpool is that in essentially their three biggest matches of the year, give or take, they could not find a goal in regulation is, is just weird to me. Um, again, I, I find it hard to really draw anything from it because it's, it's a small sample size and it's a spread out sample size. So it's just, again, it's just an oddity, but and that's, again, that's something we can talk about more um, when we do well, their and, season interview. And- just something to throw into that. Mm-hmm. Their X, their XG over those three matches was somewhere like six point one five. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I certainly remember. Um, uh, uh, Mendy, oh, Mendy was standing on his head. Yeah, Mendy in the League Cup final was fantastic. Yeah. Which, which yeah. again was what made it so funny when when Kepa came in to replace him and then missed the exactly. penalty. Exactly. Uh, um, I mean, there was definitely yeah. there was definitely things going on there, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it was just it, it, I, I think um, some bad luck for Liverpool, but also at times too, you know. One thing for Liverpool having uh, some good goal scorers like Mo Salah, like Sadio Mane, uh, even a Diogo Jota. Um, 
sometimes Liverpool just aren't that clinical in front of goal. And a name that I've heard popping up that people have been saying, well, you know, what if Liverpool had, you know, uh, does Harry Kane turn? Yeah. Especially there was um, there was the shot by Salah. That was a really nice save from Courtois. But, you know, that that's just, that's the name I keep hearing coming up as well. You know, Harry Kane bears Right. And I'm like, well, I mean, we don't have Harry Kane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Lewandowski buries him. Okay, so you just mentioned <laughs> the two best strikers in the world. Sorry we don't have the, one of the two best strikers in the world. Please pardon us for that. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, that is, you know, when this whole Liverpool run under Klopp, uh, Liverpool have preached it that uh, matches and trophies and the biggest prizes are won on the smallest margins. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Liverpool has, you know, Liverpool has spared no expense when it comes to the off the field things, anything that they help, they think can, uh, you know, give them a chance, uh, a chance to be better, uh, whether it be with the fitness staff, whether it be on the mental side of things. I mean, by God, they still take stick because they hired a throwing coach. Yeah. Um, anything to try to find those margins. But you know what? I mean, I, I can. I mean, it makes me shake my head and roll my eyes. You know, the whole. But you know, I mean, those are some of those finer margins. You know, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. I guess if we had Harry Kane, he buries probably at least one of those shots. Um, but you know, I just, I, I just think sometimes. Sometimes you just hit those keepers on the right night. And damn it, we just we happen to catch Courtois having the match of his life. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it worked out for us. Um, yeah. For the second time in five years where you saw the European Cup and Madrid. Um uh, last thing I I sort of heard and and this can be super quick. Uh, and not that there was like blame going around, but I, something I also did see kind of getting picked up. Uh, Luis Diaz, obviously very young, but getting the start for Liverpool. Any any thoughts on that? I, I saw some people thinking maybe maybe this was too big a moment for for someone who is still kind of young to the big European scene. But um, I mean, he'd been playing so well for Liverpool. It's it's really hard to justify from a form standpoint yeah. taking him out of the eleven. Honestly, I mean, the dude has been just amazing. I mean, he hit the ground running. He's, you know, I, I guess I'll say in other big matches this year and in uh, the FA Cup final, uh, in, you know, other Champions League matches, he hasn't shown any nerves. I don't think he's shown any nerves in this. I don't think Danny Carnahal handled him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what are you gonna do about it? You know, sometimes you just get handled. Um, yeah, that's PSG. Um, <laughs> I personally this year. So here was my thing in the in the build up until probably the last six weeks. I really like Luis Diaz as super sub. Mm-hmm. I love bringing him on at about the 60th minute when the legs are starting to get tired. All of a sudden, here comes like this lightning bolt off the bench. 
Mm-hmm. But man, you know, he he's played himself into a spot where you know, no, he's he deserves to start. I mean, he's arguably been Liverpool's best player over the last two months. Um, in the attack, him and Sadio Mane have really stepped it up. I mean, I had no problem with it. Once again, I would love to see him coming on in that 60th minute, but at the same mm-hmm. time, and, and then two, the way Liverpool have been lining up lately, they've had a lot of joy with Sadio Mane through the middle. Um, if you with Diaz out on the left, if you take Diaz out of that starting lineup, then Mane goes back out left, and you know then you're playing either Firmino or Jota, who and Jota. Yeah, Jota had a great season. I mean, 21 total goals. But he had kind of lost some of his effectiveness in the season. So, um, no, I had absolutely, absolutely zero problem with uh, with uh, Luis Diaz starting this match. And I think anyone who has an issue, they're just, they're just looking for something to have an issue about. Well, and I didn't see like a lot of complaining about it. Just more of a, you know, maybe we maybe we shouldn't start him. Maybe he's young. Maybe. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I'm not sure. young. I mean, he's twenty five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not. He's not a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shit. True. If anything, he started Ibrahima Kanate, a twenty-two year old who is a backup at Whiteland. He started him as a center back. Yeah. Damn it, that kid did just fine, didn't he? I mean, so, yes, he was. you know, um, yeah, no, no, no problems with Diaz. Diaz was just, uh, just didn't have a good night. Honestly, our game master just didn't have a good night. Yeah. All right. Well, that is another Champions League season in the books. Um, we'll have a little bit more to talk about that again. I'm sure when we do our season interviews coming up here in the next couple of weeks, but that is going to put it on ice for now. Um, <laughs> In other match along, along news, with, along with our unopened champagne, delicious. Um, other news uh, today: congratulations to the Ukraine and commiserations to Scotland after the Ukraine wins three-one in their World Cup qualifier semifinal. Um, again, this was the much-delayed playoff uh, due to the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Um, they have they have finally taken to the pitch, and the Ukraine with a famous win uh, against Scotland in Glasgow. Uh, Ukraine will now have to do one more thing, and that is beat Wales in Cardiff this Sunday to reach the World Cup. Um, obviously, you know, Wes, motion emotional victory uh, for the Ukrainian side. Um, but also just a very well-played match by them. Had a little something extra in the tank. Um, Scotland didn't come out on, on the right foot, and, and they got punished for it. And, and so now Ukraine just, just one win away from the World Cup? Yeah, we're, um, we're doing a great job coming out. Uh, the fans at the match were absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Scotland fans... You know, it, it was kind of a weird one, almost atmosphere-wise, because you know the Scottish fans who were known for their vociferousness and their boisterousness. Uh, it was almost kind of like, oh man, you know, we want to go crazy, but you know, we don't want to rub it in these people's face. 
So I think that almost may have played against Scotland a little bit. Mm-hmm. But also at the end of the game, guy, I mean, just the, the golf and quality was evident. And Ukraine were just bad. So yeah. I think on the outside stuff didn't, didn't have that much of a difference. They just kicked the shit out of Scotland. And Scotland deserved to go home based on their performance. Um, excuse me. That's it. I mean, awesome, awesome job by Ukraine. Uh, it was pointed out, you know, a lot of those players play in the Ukrainian league mm-hmm. and therefore haven't played a match in like three or four months. Yeah. So um, they came out and got it done. Now they turned their eyes to Wales. I'm kind of in that, in that opinion park where they could see a huge letdown come the weekend and come that match. Sure. Just mm-hmm. based on how emotional that match with Scotland was, it would be it would somewhat be a shame at this point to see Ukraine uh, back to about uh, uh, just just one match away from the World Cup. But you know, let's see if they can dig deep and get the job done. Um, but Wales looking pretty darn good, and you know they've got that dude Gareth Bale who is now a five-time <laughs> Champions League winner. Just amazing on France on, on Saturday. Oh, amazing bants from uh, <laughs> from Gareth. Gareth Bale's got all the bants. Um, but you know, once again, it's like the man said: Wales golf, Real Madrid. So <laughs> he comes to play when he pulls on that red shirt. Um, I, I expect Gareth Bale to be on his game for this weekend. And honestly, once you step between the lines, you can can empathize with the plight of Ukraine all you want. Once you step between the lines, it's go time. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect I don't expect Wales to have somewhat of a letdown that Scotland just had. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Wales is a very good team. So uh Ukraine is gonna have their hands full come this Sunday. All right, to the news and notes. And now you know I just said we were gonna close the book on this Champions League. Uh, 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 not so fast, my friends. Um, we are going to have to dive back in to, to the special report by Simon Hughes and more. The Champions League final horror. It was starting to crush. We were shaking. Uh, the Athletic and many others have done a bang-up job in reporting on the act absolute shit show that was attempting to get into the Champions League, uh, especially for English and Liverpool fans this past weekend. Um, The match actually had to be delayed by 15 minutes, two separate times to try and allow people to get in. Uh, People of all ages were tear gassed almost indiscriminately. Um, It seemed like the French government was very interested in what we will, what we will generously describe. I will generously describe. I think Wes will have harsher words. I will generously describe as stretching the truth as to what transpired on the weekend. Um, but a lot of this seemed to be of the French's own making. Um, just horrible uh, allocation of, of where people could go, of employees, of open gates. Just a terrible, terrible scene. And, uh, and just seeing then, you know, 
people jumping the fence to try and get in and looking like they weren't really, you know, any fans of a particular team, but more just maybe teenagers from Paris, you know, jumping, jumping the fence there. It was, it was a shocking sight to behold and, and one that should cast a very, very poor light on, on how France not only held this Champions League final, but, um, but is now doing the response. Uh, there is a report that will come out. I have zero faith in it being anything other than a cover-up, but you know that's that's just me and the world we live in at this point. Um, so again, if you want to if you want to read more great accounts of it, a bunch of people on Twitter, journalists on the ground there had great reports. Uh, and again, this one by Simon Hughes and an entire collective at the Athletic really really puts puts it down. Um, but I'm I am now sure that Wes has quite some thoughts on this. Well, don't worry. If any fan base knows about getting fucked by the police and then someone covering it up, it's us. Ooh. By God, we've got we've got the history with it. Let's do it all again, right? Um, the difference this time, '96, uh, they all came home this time. So yes, thank God. Nobody for that. died. Hooray! Yeah, yeah good job. Um, this was the clusterfuck of clusterfucks. Oh, um, the fucking French, as they will henceforth be known at this point, uh, dropped the ball on this about as poorly as anyone could. Uh, UEFA dropped the ball on this as poorly as anyone could. The fact that Liverpool fans had given no one any reason whatsoever to have an issue pre-match and then the police show up and fucking riot you. Why? What was your reason for showing up in riot gear, which immediately just like starts a whole feeling about everything? Because now you've got people on edge just because, you know, the way you're showing out. Um... There have been so many uh, accounts from the people who were there. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like... It's almost like the the French... Or the French... I'm not going to call them the French. The the Parisian police department, who was in charge of the security for this, Mm -hmm. they already had it in their heads. All right. Yeah, we're going to show you fucking English fans. You know, we're going to show you how we do it here in Paris. You know, y'all, y'all aren't, y'all aren't going to be like we've heard y'all are going to be. And I mean, they basically set it up. They funneled, they funneled uh, the Liverpool section of fans. They funneled them into just horrible places where people couldn't move. Um, I mean, people were standing in line for two, three hours trying to get into the match. The the Paris police, for whatever reason, they decided we're just going to start pepper spray. Nice. For no real reason. Not that anyone's yeah. doing anything. Oh, well, I'm sorry. There were people doing things. They were called the fucking locals who were uh, jumping people who were trying to steal people's uh, tickets and phones who were, mm-hmm. as you said, scaling the walls and the fences to get into the match. Oh, but no problem there. Hey, come on, guys, fellas, do what you want. Hey, Watching Twitter and- videos 
of of yeah. of people jumping over the fence and the police yeah. there like making a yeah. hearted effort to catch them was infuriating. But hey, here's a father and his daughter, and they're just trying to scan their tickets and come in. Play. I mean, just literally, there's a kid who's probably like 17, 18 years old. Uh, he's scanning his ticket at the kiosk to walk in, and the cop just walks up and pepper sprays him in the face. I mean, there, no rhyme or reason for what they're doing. Um, and, and here's the thing. The French government can try and cover this shit up all they want. And guess what, guys? Everyone has a fucking cell phone. Everyone yep. has fucking footage of this. There is hard... Uh, Wes, I am uh, I'm losing you just a little bit. You're kind of you're kind of breaking up a little sorry bit. I'm that. sorry. No, you're fine. Every single account mm-hmm. from people outside was Liverpool fans weren't doing anything. They were just trying to go to the match. They were behaving themselves. You know, they weren't starting fights. They weren't trying to jump out. And for, and then UEFA can't get their damn story straight. It starts off with, oh, well, we're delaying the match because the Liverpool fans showed up too late. Yeah. To the next thing you know, oh, well, actually, we delayed the match because of widespread, what, what was the word they used? Um, uh, widespread ticket fraud? It was widespread, uh, you know, widespread ticket fraud. I, I was, oh, they had an industrial, yes. industrial level That's... ticket fraud. Yes. I mean, they're saying they're saying there were like seventy thousand fake tickets or some shit like that. It's like, wait a damn minute! There's not even that many people in the stadium. What the fuck are y'all talking about? I mean, just absolute shit, man. Absolute shit. And, and you know, the thing is, this is just this is what happens to English fans when they go on the con. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were there was a time where English fans have been dickheads. <clears throat> but, you know, the fact that basically, like I said, apparently the police had it in their heads. Well, here's what's going to happen. So here's going to be our response. You're not going to tell us any different. And that's exactly how this shit went down. And an absolute travesty. Um, kudos. To the Liverpool fans who, while there was the threat of, of a crush coming, there was the police basically antagonizing the fans by almost trying to force them into something, kudos to the Liverpool fans for not taking the bait and going down that path and turning this into something. Um you know, their response was fantastic. And there's reports that, you know, people, they were sitting there, they were standing there in those areas and they were looking at each other and saying, oh God, you know, if this pops off, this is going to be basically Hillsborough 2.0. And those people made the concerted effort just to pretty much just take it. Mm-hmm. You know, they did what they had to do to try to preserve their lives and the lives of the other fans. And, you know, because they kept their cool and just 
they kept getting pepper sprayed and didn't fight back about it. You know, because of that, this just goes down. This will go down more in nasty scenes instead of, but no, you know, no fatalities. Yeah. So, you know, at least it won't go down as won't go down as an all time tragedy. It's more a travesty instead of a tragedy, at least. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there's going to be more coming from this. There's going to be more coming from this, and uh, it is, it is not looking positive right now for. There's a couple of French politicians who, you know, really went in on this whole move, and they are looking worse and worse today for me. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, let's see what happens. Apparently, from what people say, UEFA, the setup was just absolutely hideous. Um, I, just, I think you need to not, you need to not have these events in Paris anymore if it's going to be at the Stade de France. Uh, you know, Thierry Henry, a guy who is a Parisian himself, is somewhat from that area. I mean, he went out and he said, you know, I love Paris, he said, but you know, this is not a good part of Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, uh, this is basically, basically the, the park, the, the stadium is located in one of the, one of, if not the, uh, harshest areas in, in Paris when it comes to socioeconomics. Um, you know, it's a very depressed area in that sense. And there there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of gang activity, and a lot of people apparently fell victim to that in the uh in the post game and in the pregame. And you know, that's something that really needs to be looked uh looked at in the future if they're thinking about hosting anything in that area. Yeah. Yeah, absolute travesty. Um, and and as you rightly mentioned, the the only good thing coming out of this at the moment is that it was not worse, uh, and that that this and no lives were lost. Um, again, I am not hopeful about any sort of report or anything happening for this. Um, and please, I want everyone to remember that when a somewhat small amount of English idiots last year tried to wreck the Euro final. Everyone said this is a a reason that England should never host a World Cup. Well, this was like I I, I don't want to use whataboutism, but it is really it is really telling like how much everyone was ready to jump down England's throats and be like, no, your hooligans are back. And now we see this and it's like, Oh, maybe it was just like a a handful of people acting like idiots, which is apparently just going to happen everywhere. So. And and to me, you throw into that with the European media, England coming off the whole Brexit thing. I think, People were just ready to absolutely slam England for any any anything that went wrong at that tournament. Where with France, it's just more you know, oh, he's just been yeah, an un unsavory. 
is what it is. Um, we are going to move on to hopefully somewhat better things to talk about. A um, couple of TV news things. Uh, the Champions League final uh, did very well for CBS, uh, according to awfulannouncing.com. Uh, actually had, uh, it drew 2.76 million viewers on CBS, which is up almost 600,000 people over last year's Chelsea City final. Uh, obviously having a team like Real Madrid, who has such a big fan base here in the States, along with a team like Liverpool, is going to give it some of that extra oomph. Um, but very, very good there. Um, and as they said, uh, you know, they, they, that doesn't also include uh, the Univision numbers. Um, but with, you know, Real Madrid being in there, surely that that uh, number would skyrocket. Um, so good on good on the good on CBS. You know, we, we were we were a little slightly worried, even though Fox wasn't doing super great with the Champions League. <laughs> we were a little worried about CBS. We were a little worried about CBS just because they were so new to this sort of thing. But they have they've been doing, at least from the broadcasting standpoint, pretty good, and and they're they're uh, raking in the viewership to go with it. Um, on the other side, the Premier League. This is also from Awful Announcing. Uh, drew their second best average viewership in the United States. Over the course of the season, they nearly hit an uh, record average high. Um, they had 2.2 million viewers across all platforms for Championship Sunday. Um, almost a million people watching Man City Villa on NBC and Peacock. Mm -hmm. And 681,000 people, which is a cable record to watch Liverpool over Wolves on USA. Uh, wow, it's crazy what happens when you put it on a channel that people actually get instead of NBCSN. Um, so yeah, drew an, they drew an average of just over half a million viewers across all platforms over the course of the season. Uh, this was only behind the 2015-16 season where Leicester City won the title, and it was only about 7,000 viewers short on the average. Um, so yeah, you know we we do we do whine a little bit about game more and more games being on Peacock and and needing multiple logins, but you know you got to say Wes and NBC words NBC still does a bang up job on their coverage overall, and uh, it's good to see that you know now post COVID numbers are still doing great for for NBC here. They are um, yeah, really good to see, as the men in blazers are saying. Um, football America supported the future since 1972. Uh, maybe it's finally happening, and it's happening. No, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think um, I think having this compelling title race certainly helped. Um, it, it it was a big help that City didn't just walk away with the league. Yeah. Um, and then I think just the the hype of you know Liverpool trying to chase them down. Liverpool obviously the huge fan base, and they, Liverpool has a really nice American fan base. Uh, City, uh, you know, uh, they they've got a nice little American base themselves. Um, I think I think that really helped. That helped a lot going down the stretch. Um, 
NBC, uh, I think getting away from the NBC sports network, NBCSN, uh, I think they, I think the products become a little more improved because I think they knew they had to with where they were going to be putting it. Um, I've been really impressed with the product here, uh, late, especially late in the season. And I'm really hoping things will keep going uh, well with NBC. I, I'd like to see them. I'd like to see that stick around because I mean, I don't know where it would go next, but uh, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone right now would do as good a job as NBC is going with it. Yeah, absolutely. They have done a fantastic job. Um, you know, and, you know, even, you know, there was the one thing we liked about ESPN pretty much at the start of the decade was their soccer coverage was, was mm. bang on. And, uh, and we were a little curious to see how NBC would do. And, and while there have definitely been some bumps, you know, mostly in terms of, of Peacock and, and putting games mm. on networks, um, their coverage has been fantastic pretty much throughout it. So, so very good job by them. And they are doing the big numbers but our next story um does does have a little bit of change up for nbc sports and and uh the premier league as it's going to be called uh arlo white the voice of the premier league here in the united states is out at nbc he will be replaced by peter drury who is also fantastic um mm -hmm. and probably someone you've already heard if you watch a lot of premier league here uh they mm -hmm. pull all, quite a few of the matches he is on if it's not an actual nbc produced match they do and like rebecca lowe had uh sort of name almost with nbc and nbc sports um here um but a, but a surprising move but thankfully uh someone that is more than capable of replacing uh arlo white's uh arlo white shoes wes really 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 excited for peter drury to come in um, he's great like him a lot like him a lot uh i'm interested to see if um uh Oh, who is I think Jim Beglin who does matches with mm -hmm. him. Uh, would love to see those two um, come in together. Now that that hasn't been um, that hasn't been announced if that's going to happen. Um, but you know Beglin, uh, Beglin's fantastic. He he's a he's a he's a Liverpool man. I mean, what can I say? You know, we we got the best in the broadcast business. Uh, but, um, yeah, Jim Beglin was a really good player for Liverpool, former Republic of Ireland guy. <clears throat> so, hey, maybe we'll see that. That would be a really nice team. Yeah. I haven't heard anything, uh, as someone pointed out, I haven't heard anything about um, Graham Lafoe. Um, mm -hmm. Lee Dixon. Oh, I'm just, Lee Dixon, that's it. I haven't heard anything. Mm. 
of a mill. Um, you know, this this is just one of those things where, to me, you've kind of just got to sit back and see what comes out about it. You know, people, a lot of people are jumping to conclusions about this, and I don't know why. I mean, I don't know the story. They don't know the story. Only a few people know what the story is. I guess we'll figure, we'll hear what it is sometime. But, yeah, no need to lose your mind. I mean, maybe, you know, Arlo White was just like, you know, I want to do something different. Like you say, you know, maybe he got a sweet ass deal from somewhere else and is going to do matches and is just fine and dandy with it. I really like that one white. Um, but I think I think uh, with Drury, we're going to be in good hands uh, with our Premier League coverage. Absolutely. Um, I did see uh, Arlo actually tweeted about it because I'd been. This story broke a couple days ago, and he hadn't really said anything about it. Um, and then I think um, he tweeted out today. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Um, no, that's not it. I need my search bar, damn it. Arlo. Um, yeah, John Orend, uh, uh, from the Sports Business Journal, had put out a tweet about it. Um, and his reply was, thank you, gents. One day I'll tell you how it all went down. I appreciate your kindness. Um, hey, you. Uh, the, 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 the phrase how it all went down just to me has a negative connotation. It doesn't mean that it actually does. Mm. But, it, but it's always a little awkward when it or, you know, if, I'll tell you all about, you know, my plans or I'll tell you about what my future holds. Instead, he went with how it all went down. Like, mm, okay. Uh, so, anyway, but as you said, uh, NBC is in very, very capable hands and microphones with, uh, with Peter Drury. All right, a couple last little stories here. Um, this, this is a weird one, because I, I don't know how to understand what's happening right now. Um, so, you know, about a week and change ago, uh, Tottenham had a must-win match against the last place team in the Premier League and destroyed them 5-0 to clinch the Champions League spot. Then they already say they're going to bring in Fraser Forster to deputize Hugo Lloris, which they can't announce for rules mm -hmm. reasons until July. Then they go and pretty much say Conte is coming back next season. And now they're signing even Perisic. Oh, what? 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 What the hell is going on at I don't know what's happening. I don't know this feeling of having things settled in like the first three weeks of the offseason. It's weird. It's weird. So I, uh, I'm very confused by this, in all seriousness. Um, I think the Perisic signing, while it goes against the grain of what Tottenham have been doing, because he is a, a bit of an older player, I believe he is 32 right now, he is uh -huh. still very, very, very good. Uh, had a uh -huh. great spell with uh, Conte when he was at Inter. Um, so I am very excited to see what Perisic can do. Has obviously had great uh, spells with the Croatian national team um, on, on the world stage. So I, I think this is a very good signing, which again, it's just, it's, weird for Tottenham to be doing this already. Uh, I know there's a couple other people maybe in the pipeline. Uh, we'll have to see how things shake out there with someone like Bastoni. Um, but this is, this is... This is interesting days for Tottenham West. This is not your... 
one year younger brothers Tottenham, I'll tell you that. Oh. Not the time that I've chosen the video. <laughs> no. Um, no, look. Um, if Conte was going to stick around, Conte had assurances that some money was going to get spent. Is Conte going to sit there and manage and not get the money? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. You know what you're getting in Conte. You're not getting a guy who is going to come in and be uh, told by Daniel Levy, well, here's your budget. Take it or leave it. Because Conte's about, leave it. See you. <laughs> Find somebody better. Good luck. Um, so he, he's not going to have terms dictated to him. He's going to be more of the dictating terms. And I think that um, if – if Tottenham were getting into the Antonio Conte boat, that they knew what it was going to take to stay on that boat. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it came down also to making that Champions League, getting in that last Champions League spot was massive. Oh, yeah. I, I almost wonder, I almost think if they had not made it, that I don't think Conte would have stuck around. Very but possible, yeah. They got for well because he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have the money. They they wouldn't yeah. have the money for him. Um, but now they got it. Conte's going to stick around. Perisic is a nice first signing. He ain't, probably ain't going to be the last one. Um, I expect this team to make some moves this summer, and I think Tottenham have got to see this is their moment to go for it mm -hmm. because we know Conte isn't. Well, from what we've seen thus far, Conte is not a long-term guy, which is kind of putting things lightly. <laughs> yeah, he, he he kind of makes Josie Mourinho look like a long-term guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you better strike while the iron's hot, and I I, I hope that Tottenham are prepared and are going to go down and do what it takes to. Give Conte the best team that he can do. Mm -hmm. So um, I mean, got got to be an exciting, exciting uh, early start to the off season for the Tottenham Hotspur fans. And uh, and good on you. Got to get ready because that Champions League ain't no joke, and they they got some work to do to get that squad ready for the Champions League. Absolutely, but I do think. <laughs> fingers crossed with a fully healthy side uh, with guys like Christian Romero, with a guy like Eric, Eric Dyer, who seems to have been completely rejuvenated under Conte. Um, you saw a little bit of it under Mourinho, but Conte really seems to be bringing out the good stuff in him. Uh, someone like Oliver Skip coming back into to the rotation with guys like Kulishevsky, who scored today for, uh, for Sweden on international duty. Um, Guys like that coming in and then and then having these, you know, proven winners like Perisic coming in to maybe be that X factor. You were talking about margins earlier with uh, with Liverpool. Those are maybe some of the margins Tottenham's been lacking over the last five, six years as, a, as someone that knows what it's like to win those things and to push someone over the edge. Uh, and not just in the managerial role, but on the pitch. Parasitch can maybe be that guy. So I'm excited to see 
uh, how this this shapes Tottenham going forward. Very very exciting. Um, last uh, last couple stories here. Uh, as if as if God himself wasn't impressive enough after winning the uh, Scudetto with AC Milan just a few weeks ago, revealed by Amity Winehouse over at the Athletic. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I played without an ACL for six months and barely slept. I don't, I don't, it's what I need for six months. I was only able to train with the team 10 times in the last six months, took more than 20 injections, emptied the knee once a week for six months, painkillers every day. I... What what a man! If this if this is maybe the end of Zlatan, what a way to go out, man! What what an absolute warrior! And and you know we're talking about that winner's mentality. What what a motivational guy he he must have been for AC Milan and someone who we we might not see someone like him again for for a long time, Wes. There are many people in this world who have. The kind of moxie and just sheer willingness to put themselves out there like Zlatan Ibrahimovic does. Because the thing about Zlatan, Zlatan is amazing with the one-liner. He can tell a story, um, but man, he he be- he believes every word he says. Yes, and that's what says Mabar. He he believes it. You know, he tells you he's the greatest player in the world. Ronaldo Messi, um, but in Zlatan, in, in Zlatan's mind, he is the best player in the world. And when he steps on the field, he plays with that confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the what is the the crude term that has been used uh, in popular culture over the last decade? I think they call that big dick energy. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah. It's like if you look up big dick energy, there ought to be just a picture of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like so. I, I get this term. Could you define it for me? Zlatan. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> he is he's the epitome of what big dick energy is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, it, it would break our heart if it was the last we saw Zlatan. But mm-hmm. if he does decide to hang him up, man, what a way to go out. Winning Scudetto, giving that epic team talk in the locker room afterwards. Oh, Zlatan. If he sticks around, he can have a year with, with uh, Origi, as we all know football is nothing without Origi. Because <laughs> D- Dimmy's on his way in, lad. Dimmy and Zlat. Sounds like oh, a cop show. I mean, it could oh. be. It could. It could be our oh, new rush hour. Divian's lap. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, lastly, we finish up the news and notes here uh, with the story from Anthony Hay and Lori Whitwell, and what I, I can't believe we didn't lead with this story because it's quite frankly the most shocking story I think I've ever seen in my entire. Time of doing this podcast. Let me, let me get this right here from the athletic headline. Ralph Rangnick will not remain at Manchester United in consultancy role. I am shocked. Shocked, West Bradshaw. I am shocked that this is what it has come to. 
I cannot believe he will not stay on. It's I I can't do this anymore. What what is this is going to be go down as one of the weirdest periods in Manchester United. Just just I I, I don't even have words for it at this point. What a what a weird weird like couple years it's been. Just mind blowing. Yeah, um oh. Andrew Alex Ferguson is just nothing has been right with that club. I mean it's pretty glorious, but nothing's been right. Um the front office whoever's calling the shots in that place is a complete joke. Ralph yeah. Randick for all his warts as a trust me, he's not playing He's not a great man. But what Ralph Ragnick has shown an ability to do is to help build a culture at a club as more of a director, personnel type person. Um he he runs with the whole RV from from the Red Bull camp. And it looked like when United brought him in, the things you were hearing, the way it looked, it was like, okay, this, hell, this makes sense. You know, you bring in Ranyuk. I think it was always the plan that he was just going to finish out the season as the manager. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that was going to be so he would have an up-close view of what's going on in the locker room and in the training ground, or just everything. And then he would get to this offseason and, you know, they would hire a full-time manager and then Ramick was going to be a guy who helped shape the vision of the future for the club. And then it's like it's like – it almost went so bad on the field that Ranick lost. It's like Ranick lost all of his credibility, mm-hmm. even though he was going in to be a director and not be the manager of the football squad anymore. Um, it, it kind of looks like maybe Eric Tenhag wasn't a hire. And that didn't help uh, because, yeah. you know, hey, if you're, if you're bringing me in, now, don't get me wrong, I mean, Tim Hogg might turn out to be a great manager. Uh, and he he was kind of the hottest name in the market in, in football around the globe right now. But, you know, it just seems like with Ranick, he was there to instill more of a culture. Mm-hmm. And and a plan to start doing things right at United again, but then it's almost like he lost all of his goodwill with just how miserably United played the season out. Mm-hmm. That and if that was his plan was to manage and then step in the front office, I mean, Rangit basically sabotaged himself as that was the plan. Mm-hmm. And, and now, you know, he's taking the Austrian job. But I just, I can't imagine that Tim Hogg was a random signing. And I think at that point, it kind of became clear. It's like, okay, y'all aren't going to do anything that I'm asking you to do. 
anything I'm advising you to do, you're just going to do your own thing because it makes sense for you. And honestly, I mean, that's just, that's what's happened and that's what's going to continue to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Man, it, it, is, it is just, it has been a crazy, crazy thing. Um, and that's on top of Paul Pogba. <laughs> we haven't even told <laughs> that. But, um, I mean, it just shows the short-termism and how poorly ran I think United truly are at the, at the higher levels. So, yeah. I guess another, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what they do, man. Do they do a player personnel guy? Do they... I don't know. It's United, man. I'm, I just don't know what to tell you. Truly, truly bizarre um, sort of thing going on over there at United. Um, yeah. I, it, it just really, it's one of those things that it made sense in the moment. And then the more it went on, you just started thinking like it made less and less sense with every day that went by. Um, to the point where now this this is the thing that makes sense for uh, for United to do, but as you said, United just seem to be directionless right now, um, and and it may be with you know again with City and Liverpool the way they are, with Chelsea potentially staying strong with their ownership situation getting worked out, with Tottenham maybe getting stronger if Arsenal's kids continue to improve, and then if any other team, you know, wants to join in in the, this battle for the top six, whether it's a West Ham, whether it's a Wolves, whether it's a Leicester, whether, whether it's, you know, someone like that, it, it's just, it, it gets hard to see how United starts getting consistently back into Champions League spots. And that's, and, you know, we, we talk a lot about how somewhat jokingly somewhat jokingly somewhat seriously how united are are just very fixated on sponsors well even if you're united if you stop making the champions league for a couple years sponsors don't really stick around all that much for that so um sponsors want to be you're paying all that money to manchester united you want to you want them there late in april early may playing basically doing what liverpool just did Mm-hmm. And then with their, oh god, whatever it is, philosophy. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, amazing stuff over there. All right, well, let's pimp the athletic. Wes, what else you got? And been reading this week from this great, great website. Oh, let's take a look, man. Let's take a look. I've got some nice things saved up here for you folks. Um, college football recruiting staff is weighing on NIL roster management. Google and more, Samcon Jr. Um, they had a uh, a college football personnel get together in Las Vegas, and uh, they they just they delved into a lot of the uh, things going on around recruiting NIL. All that. So if uh, if you're ready for that, go for it. Um, you know, one thing we didn't touch on earlier, talking about Liverpool and Ed knows we're trying to keep this uh, little batting down tonight. Uh, Sadio Mane has announced that he wants uh, to leave Liverpool. 
uh, this summer. Kind of, it came as a, a, a surprise, not a shock, but there was a lot of surprise value to uh, James Pierce on Monday Monday leaving Liverpool. How we got here, how much today, and what next? Uh, I'm sure that'll be more a topic of conversation as we go along in the summer. Um, because that could start some chain reaction kind of stuff with a guy like Sadiq Mahmoud. Um, and where was my last one here? Uh, we will go with, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go with this. Just talking earlier about how Liverpool, you know, I wouldn't say they deserved to win because they didn't, but Liverpool might probably have to. Uh, John Muller. Only in an alternate reality should Real Madrid be Champions League winners, but that's the beauty of football. So, read it. Just kind of makes you, you know, wistfully and ruefully smile. It explains some things, at least. Yes. Um. Yeah, so this was... Uh, we're we're going to get definitely into the uh, the transfer news next week, obviously. You know, uh, a trio of people leaving United we just talked about uh, uh, reported today. You know, Juan Mata, Jesse Lingard, and of course, Paul Pogba look like they are all making their way out of Manchester United. And as those dominoes continue to fall, along with, as Wes mentioned, Sadio Mane, uh, we will be talking much more about the transfer window and, and that sort of thing uh, as, as we start into the summer here in the, in the coming weeks. Because, again football this summer um so i have a couple stories uh one coming from uh stuart james uh celebrating he's won a header watching the champions league final with footballers and a coach um if you've ever watched one of those like espn mega casts for college football uh you kind of have an idea of what it's like for you know that sport uh but this has a, a pretty interesting uh insight with uh ben me manisha taylor and frank noble um coming together to have a fun little piece here um so yeah go go check that out it's it's a fun little story of them watching the champions league final Stuart james did a nice job there and then uh i could have picked about five different article versions for this one i'm picking up this one from earlier today uh from c trent rosencrantz and the athletic staff um Reds Tommy Pham suspended three games for slapping Giants Jock Peterson. Just go read about this man. What a what a fun oh, story. Fantasy football. <laughs> what an amazing and then it comes out that Mike Trout is the commissioner of the league and and Tommy Pham has beef with him now and oh, and then and then uh, and then Trout dropping the line of, you know, well, I guess all commissioners get booed everywhere. So that's that's that that might also be a little sly dig at uh, a certain NLB commissioner. Just saying that. Um, but yeah, just a just a bonkers story. Again, there's a bunch of coverage from The Athletic about this because we're in the middle of baseball season. Nothing else exciting is happening. Um, but yeah, what a what a weird ass story from a from a truly dreadful Cincinnati Reds team. So go check that out. Um, all right, as we finish, um, Wes, obviously, besides game one of the NBA finals, which we now care about because the Boston Celtics are in it. 
<laughs> what else have you been watching in the week that was or the week that will be? Well, when it comes to watching something, Ed, uh, we moved over the weekend, and literally in the last two hours have I even set my TVs up on uh, stands. Nice. That don't mean they're plugged in. Check. <laughs> like, nothing has been watched on that one. Um, I did listen to an interesting podcast today. Is I've spoken about Dan Carlin in the past. He of the hardcore history um, pods. He's just fantastic. He did a two and a half hour interview. Um, he went on Mike Rowe. Uh, mm-hmm. He went on his podcast, Micro, of course, the Dirty Jobs guy. Mm-hmm. And they really went into a lot of like each of them, their career, how they do what they do with the podcasting, how they get there. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like an inside baseball kind of thing. I mean, he doesn't go into, uh, you know, any big historical takes, but it's more about how we do things, how he does it. It's really cool. He does give some opinion on Ukraine and Russia deal as well more from a historical, um, you know, kind of thing, not, not political. Um, so, so definitely something really interesting there. Really good podcast. They say it's about two and a half. It's a very good one. It flows really well. Ah, buddy, that's about all I've got for you. Other than that, I'm just listening to my regular pods and, and um, just trying to keep my head above water. Noise. Noise. Um, so uh, I had mentioned this show uh, a little while ago, um, and then myself and one named producer Jackie uh, dropped it because she thought it was too slow, uh, so she wanted to wait for the rest of the season to come out since it was one of those things that some streaming services do where they're like, oh, yeah, let's do the thing where we release one episode a week. Ugh. <sighs> Uh, so this show was called Severance, uh, actually produced by Ben Stiller and starring, uh, among a couple other people, uh, Adam Scott um, of Parks and Rec fame. Uh, it also has, I believe, Michael Turturro um, and, oh gosh, um, more cowbell. Um, Christopher Walken. Yes, Christopher Walken. I had to do the voice in my head. Oh, um, Christopher Walken uh, in some great roles as well as Patricia Arquette. Um, this was the show about uh, a company that had a procedure where you could separate your work life from your home life and you wouldn't remember anything that happened in either location. Um, so we stopped watching about midway through the first season. It's a nine episode season. Um, and then we just binged the last four episodes this past weekend. Wow. When that show decided to pick up the pace, it really fucking picked up the pace. Man, what a what a great ending. Um ends on ends on a nice little cliffhanger. And uh I am very excited to see what the second season brings for this show. Uh definitely definitely does it's again it is very slow. If if you find it slow in the first four or five episodes, you're not wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not crazy. It's slow. Give it, just give it time. Because once you hit about episode seven, 
things start to go and all the pieces that they have slowly been putting out over the course of the season start to fall into place. It's a great show. Check it out. Even if Adam Scott looks really old in it. Um, I'm convinced part of it is the terrible haircut he has in it, but that's, you know, that's just kind of where we are now. Um, so yeah, amazing, amazing show. Well, well done. Ready for season two, whenever the hell that comes out. Um, so with that, that will do it for episode 417 of the Foreign Fair podcast. Um, once again, uh, you can find us on all our podcast providers, including Anchor, which is powered by Spotify. Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, the TuneIn Radio app, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. If you want to drop us a voice line, just click on the link in the description. And uh, if we like it and it's usable, we'll throw it in the pod. Um, you can also find us on the social media on Twitter. As a collective, we are at AFA Pod. Wes, you are? Oh, at Wes Brown, Channel 21. I am at Edward Green. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube via our parent show, The All New Sports Show. You can email us at allnewsportshow at gmail.com. So that is going to do it for this week. Um, we have plenty to talk about next week. Again, plenty of transfer news. That's going to be kicking up. Uh, we'll start with our season recaps. Uh, I don't know, maybe do like four a week or so <laughs> since we can you know, spread those out and get, it, get, us, get us to the beginning of August. Um, so we'll be doing those. But before we get out of here tonight, Wes, anything else you want to add? It's regional week in baseball. Yes. By the time you folks are hearing this, the regionals have already kicked off. It is a, it is going to be a, uh, a, a derby for you and I. Yes. Uh, over in, over in Greenville, it's going to be, it's going to be the foreign affair uh, college baseball derby. East Carolina hosting uh, as the one seed, number eight, second time in uh, program history they have been a national seed. Mm-hmm. Um, 20, 21 years it's been? Yeah, I guess it was uh, 2001. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah, we were a national season. Oh, God, it's so old. (laughs) Don't let it sit in. Clifford Clifford was our freaking catcher then, and now he's our... Yeah. Now he's our our coach. (laughs) And has been for quite a while. We'll see, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy season. So East Carolina and Virginia's um, seasons are kind of like opposite winners of each other. Yeah. Where East Carolina got off to the horrible start and were like last four out for like like up until about six weeks ago were like last four out of the tournament and now suddenly they're a national seed. Where <laughs> Virginia was like 22 and one or something. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly ended up a two seed because they just like fell off the deep end. Um, let's see, man. This should be. A, I think it's gonna be a fun bringing regional. I think we could. I think we could end up with multiple uh, East Carolina, Virginia shows in this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, going down at uh, the number one team in the country with a bullet, Tennessee. They kind of they've been so good. Oh. Check this number real quick. Tennessee leads the nation in ERA by 0. .69. Oh, God. Their ERA is 2.37. And also, they uh, lead the nation in home runs. Check this. They hit 141 home runs. That's the exact equal number of home runs their staff has given up this year. Oh, man. 
got that kid coming out of the pin if there was like 104. <sighs> I think yeah. there, there must have been something in the ball this year. Because you had a kid at NC State who just entered the transfer portal who, like, set a freshman record for home runs. Virginia hit a shit ton of home... Yeah, Virginia hit a shit ton of home runs. As you said, Tennessee hit a shit ton of home runs. Like, I... Offense was up this year, which... Hey, if you like that, tune in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always going to be interesting. And not to go down the whole NIL rabbit hole because I just don't want to and don't have energy to. But Tommy White entering the transfer portal from NC State. I mean, the dude's just, I mean, without a doubt, freshman All-American could probably could possibly be a first-team All-American. And you're entering the transfer portal after one year. Hmm. I'm telling you what, man, it's... Yeah, it's like I put on a message board post about it. You know, I I will I will preach that. You know, we got to get used to it. This is the new. This is going to be the mm-hmm. new normal going forward. That doesn't mean I have to like it all though. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. That's just that's a tough one to swallow. Well, now we'll see if he actually ends up leaving. Mm-hmm. Might not. Might just be seeing what's out there, but. Hey, Honestly, it's got it's got to come down to some nil money. I just I feel that's just where it is. And I guess that's that's kind of sad, but it's just where we are. I guess. Well, it's uh, it is a brave new world out there that we are striding into as a European season comes to a close. But that will do it for us. From a calling crime, West Bradshaw. I am Edward Green. Thank you so much for joining us here on this edition of the A Foreign Affair podcast. Until next week, everyone, please stay safe and enjoy the football, whatever you can find. I guess Ukraine, Ukraine, Wales this weekend. Ukraine, Wales. Nations, Nations League. Uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. And good night, Paul Pogba. What a what a run you had at United. Great, Amazing. Great, great job. Good job, I mean, I'm from office on that. Great job. Just, 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 just